Well, hello there, and welcome to Consortio Day, a podcast about partnering with God to do sacred work. My name is John Chandler, and I'm a spiritual director. And so this topic is very interesting and meaningful to me and thankful to be able to share it with you as we learn from others who do sacred work, others whose job, so to speak, is to partner with God to learn how do they maintain their own connection, their own <laughs> their own closeness with God to do the work that they do. My guest today is Chris Breslin. Chris is a friend of mine, and we go back many years uh, when we were kind of in the same stage of church planning through some shared organizations. And I've just always appreciated his heart, appreciate his uh, desire to be um, faithful to whatever church it is that he's been called to plant in the neighborhood that he's in. And I'm sure that he will talk at great lengths about that as I record this podcast with him soon. Uh, one of the things I appreciate about Chris and deeply respect about him is his heart for pastoring in the local church and neighborhood, but also being very deep theologically and reflective. And if I had a choice to go and live in a city purely for uh, one of the churches that would be there, I suppose Durham, North Carolina would be one of those because I personally would love to be a part of Oak Church and the leadership that Chris, along with his team, are bringing there. So, Hope you enjoy this conversation today. Uh, in the meantime, I am also launching here in a few weeks a new set of spiritual formation cohorts for uh, the winter-spring of 2023. There will be a cohort on practicing Sabbath, as well as a cohort, again, on practicing examine. And if you are looking for some freshness in your own uh, faith journey, or you are looking to cultivate some different practices that can add to your faith journey, some attentiveness, some self-care, I would encourage you to be a part of either of those. You can go to formationcohorts.com, which will take you to the cohorts page on my website, and you can read a little bit more about either of those and sign up to be on the mailing list so that you will know when I open up registration for those. It'll be right after the first of the year. So if you're listening to this after the first of the year, you can just go to formationcohorts.com and sign up there. Thanks again for your interest. I appreciate um, iTunes reviews if you're willing to pass those along as well as just spread the word if you find these conversations helpful. Thanks so much. And here's my conversation with Chris Breslin. Tell us, Chris, about... Uh, the context of your sacred work like what is what is the work that you do yeah the the lion's share of my sacred work is pastoring a neighborhood church here in durham north carolina um i'm uh, part of a uh staff uh but i'm the only full-time pastor I, I i do have a uh pastor that i work with as well but uh we're situated in this um really kind of quirky southern town uh not super unique these days but uh, you know a tobacco town um that those tobacco til uh buildings are turning into places for startups and um we're we're about a mile from duke and a mile from downtown um and yeah. just nestled into this neighborhood and that's that's definitely the context for my work and for our work uh, for this last more than eight years and hopefully for a long time into the future. Uh, our neighborhood is a pretty diverse neighborhood um, in terms of about every way that you can slice it and is a neighborhood that is uh, very Durham in that it is experiencing all the sorts of changes and cross pressures of the rest of the city. And um, so uh, a big part of my, my sacred work is being embedded here. My family and I live um, within walking distance of the church. Most of our life is within walking distance of the church. And that's really important to us. And uh, learning how to, how to be good neighbors uh, over, over a long time in, in a slow way. Yeah. And I, I mean, I've, been to Oak Church. I've known you for a long time. I feel like you're, I feel like if I were to say it, your church is uniquely positioned in your posture, perhaps, I would say. Um, you know, I, it just, it doesn't feel to me like any, maybe not any other church plants, but it doesn't feel to me like most church plants. So, how do you feel like you would describe the 
nature or the posture of Oak Church? Yeah, that's a good question. Yeah, I I think I'm with you in that um, some of the, maybe not what we're doing, but some of the ways that we've chosen to do things are somewhat unique for a church start. Um, when we were starting up about eight and a half years ago, um, we were kind of looking at all the, the you know, manuals, so to speak, and, and best practices and everything. Sure. And, and it was, it, it was really hard to feel like those were animating enough for what we were trying to do. Um, and so we, we really latched on to the words of Isaiah 61, which is where we get our name. Our church's name is called Oak Church. So the third verse is, it'll be called Oaks of Righteousness for the display of God's beauty. And, um, and so I think that like plantedness, that slowness, that scriptural imagination, um, and and something about uh, being involved with renewal and beauty um, uh, has really kind of taken taken our attention and imagination. So, yeah, I think in terms of other parts of the church, I, I don't think we're super. Uh, creative or out of the box we're we're kind of just like trying to do church well um in a place and i think that's important because that puts us um that puts us like inextricably proximate to our poor neighbors um our neighbors who don't um have have much awareness of god's presence and work around them and even through them sometimes um, yeah, we're not really picking our neighbors, which is, um, I, I, I think that's probably the difference maybe, um, that, that you've noticed, uh, for a church start, which most, most church planners, like your best, um, sure. attribute is that you can gather a crowd, <laughs> right? right. <laughs> no, no matter where that crowd's coming from and in, in a time with social media and SEOs, uh, gathering yeah. a crowd is maybe even more important and in some ways more competitive, some ways easier. Um, and, and so we I don't know that we've, we've ever been much about gathering a crowd as much as, uh, uh, embedding, embedding more deeply. Yeah. 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 I mean, it, it is one thing to kind of define these are the people that live in this radius that we feel like we can reach. It's another thing to say, here's this particular, segment of the city, you know, and I don't mean segment like demographic. I mean, literal geographic slice of the city that we want to. And so it's a lot more listening rather than targeting. It feels like. Yeah. And, and limiting, uh, you know, like, Mm -hmm. um, yeah, you had me thinking of like the boxes you check when you do like demographic stuff, you know, like if you're doing like a targeted ad and, and, you know, the trade-offs of limiting your target audience, so to speak. Uh, and, and some ways we're just, we're just like, uh, I don't even know how comfortable I am with saying targeted, (laughs) 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 but, but we're, we're, we're super limited and okay with that. Um, and, and and so there's trade-offs with that. Obviously it's slow going and, um, but I also, I think some of the positives, it, it can make you so much more generous and open-handed and collaborative, um, rather than competitive just by nature. Uh, you, you know, you're, you're not competing for congregants or resources or whatever. You, you're just learning how to be where you are well. Um, yeah. And, and, and all, that that might actually doom you to like other limits in terms of size and resources. But sure. uh, um, I think that can give way to, to a, a greater awareness and imagination of, uh, of God's gifts in, um, in, in how our, our existence in the neighborhood is characterized by abundance, not, not scarcity or lack. Yeah. Um, and so, I mean, this is my, my keystone question, so to speak, here is what role then does partnering with God play in your work? And it's such an obvious question on the one hand, but hearing how different people might state it seems really important. So in the work that you're doing that you've just described, what does it look like for you to partner with God in that? 
I think partnering has been really important for us. Um, one, one key, you know, reminder, just like a really aesthetic reminder is that we, we came into this old church building. I think next year is the hundredth anniversary of its construction. Um, yeah. and, um, we're not, you know, I guess directly connected or, you know, a descendant of, of that congregation that closed its doors the year before we started, but our story is tied up with that and our worship is tied up in that space. And so, um, every week when we, when we hear the word and sing and pray and have communion, um, and potluck, uh, we're surrounded by these old windows of this old Baptist church that have names. And a lot of the names are, uh, street names and building names and, you know, farmers and flower shop owner and all these people, these recognizable names. And so I think just being, I I think there's a a formative uh, nature to gathering like that. And just knowing that you, that God, that God has been here a lot longer than you have, that God's people have been here a lot longer than you have. And so you're, you're fitting into that stream somewhere. You're, you're slipstream into that. You're not, you're neither the beginning nor hopefully the end. Um, and so, um, with that comes, comes a lot of freedom to, to partner with what God has already been up to and, and trying to, trying to understand it. Um, and yeah. And so the, the, the building is, is an artifact of that, but also, um, alongside of us, there's a, a Latino congregation and a Burmese refugee hmm. congregation. And so again, we're, we're learning and we have learned and we'll continue to learn the ways that God is so active in these congregations that worship God in tongues and, sure. <laughs> um, in yeah. um, different languages and in different sensibilities, uh, in, in, in very particular and specific ways, you know, we, we, we've learned a lot about, um, the like kind of micro differences between different, uh, Latino congregations worship and how this particular congregation isn't super into Christmas, but is very into Epiphany and, uh, the Feast of Los Tres, uh, Reyes Magos. And, and so, um, we don't have a, a shared Christmas Eve service with them, but we have a shared epiphany service, you know, and, and, yeah. and they, they brought us into that. And so again, that is training us, um, and cultivating an imagination for, for partnering with different parts of God's, of Christ's body and God's people. Um, and, and I, I think making us maybe just a little better at partnering with God elsewhere. So, yeah, yeah I think. I think just proximity and contact with difference and mm. we we've, we've never have been and I doubt we ever will be a congregation with vast resources. So right. um, in some ways those limits again, um, I don't know that they force us to, but they definitely free us to partner outside of ourselves with what God's doing in other churches and organizations and, and, um, and even again, like non-Christian, non-faith organizations, because uh, yeah. we, we, we believe that God's been here, uh, way longer than we have. Um, and so we want to join into that. Yeah. There's a, there's a patience to that, um, that I would imagine comes from your personality, knowing you, but I would also imagine comes from your own formation, and even what you just said about, um, you know, partnering with God comes from seeing difference and kind of embracing difference. Like, it's one thing to say that, but it's a whole other thing to lean in on that and embrace that because that's not easy work. Um, so, all that to say, you know, I feel like there just has to be a, well, I, and from knowing you firsthand, I know that there's just a depth of thoughtfulness and a depth of character that's been part of your own story. So I'd love to talk a little bit even about your own formation. Like what is, what is it, what does it look like for you to God, 
to allow God to form you to be the pastor in this place with some of the, like what you just described, a lot of pastors might not want that. That sounds hard. (laughs) 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 And you're willing to be there. So how, how have you been formed for this place and time? I think, I think uh, when I think of formation, I, I, I think, I think of practices, but I, uh, I maybe even, prior to that think of imagination and, and how our, mm-hmm. how our imaginations are formed. And, um, and so in terms of pastoral vocational ministry, I, I think I, I owe a large debt to what I think and how I think to a childhood in a healthy, but pretty like nondescript Catholic parish yeah. <laughs> in, in which I saw, parish priest um, doing a lot and being there, you know, living, living right there. Um, and, and, you know, there's not, a, there's not a direct um, one-to-one uh, to who I am and what I'm doing, but, you know, having grown up and seeing these, these dedicated pastors sure. yeah. who, uh, who have taken vows and um, are, are there for people and there for God and there for the long haul has, has really no doubt affected who I am becoming. Um, I think also just that that work for them is, is blue collar work. (laughs) Um, I just, I don't, I don't conceive of the pastoral office as like a, uh, as like a white collar or ivory tower sort Mm -hmm. of, profession even as i i love and am really invested yeah, yeah. in the life of the mind and yeah. uh you know theological studies and all that stuff it, it, it's far more blue collar than white collar so um i think I, I think that's a big permission structure is like that's just that's just the work and so we're, we're going to do that for a long time um, sometimes I wonder if, if, because those are my, my main touch points that I, I'm like going to walk in some major landmines, uh, you know, being a dad of four kids, cause I didn't have any pastor's kids running around, uh, <laughs> when I was a kid. so, uh, we'll see TVD on that. Oh yeah. I guess it never, ever occurred to me until this moment that if you're a Catholic, there's no pastor's kids. No, yeah. <laughs> no one anything. You know, I, you come into that and, and it's you inherit all these horror stories about how the pastor's kids are the, the worst. But uh, yeah, we'll see. Yeah. Well, you also mentioned practices. So let's talk about like what are your what are your practices look like? Are do you are you one who you've just got your set rhythms, or do you find you're one who has this Garden, proverbial garden of practice. I think somebody else used that term. I'm stealing Ooh, I like that. that garden of practices to draw from. <laughs> yeah, from. It, it might be. Yeah, we we have a lot of like urban gardens here, uh, and and sometimes they can they can be kind of mangy and creative, even as they are fruitful. So <laughs> that, that might be that might be <laughs> mangy. <laughs> that might be a good uh, a good analogy. But yeah, like I, I I do think I do think my some of my background both with Roman Catholicism, but also, you know, I've hung out with plenty of, um, evangelicals and Baptists. I, I went to school with Methodists and mainliners and Episcopalians. So like I, uh, I do really appreciate a broad swath of tradition and practice and liturgy and, and prayer. Um, I don't know that I'm, I'm always and ever honed in on one thing, but uh, probably in the, in the more recent season, things like centering prayer, um, have been, um, uh, really helpful and connective. Um, uh, uh, also just, um, yeah, I'm, I'm a book person. So, yeah. um, the prayer book, but also theological reading is really important to me. I find when I'm, when I'm, most attentive to what God is doing. I'm, uh, I'm pretty voraciously reading scripture and theology Mm -hmm. and, um, it's easier for me to make connections, uh, to what I'm reading and what I'm living, uh, in what God's doing. Yeah. Where where did you, I mean, I want to go back to some of those, but where did you get permission for that? Because, you know, oftentimes there's a, 
subtle, if not overt, chastising that happens for pastors of, and you didn't say sermon prep, but your sermon prep is not your devotions, right? <laughs> you know? Yeah. And so to me, there's a permission that you've been granted somewhere along the way that theological reading on its own is actually forming for you and, and, and quickens your soul. <laughs> I yeah. Saying. I mean, I think part of it, like I, I over the years have, have come to enjoy preaching and feel like I'm, uh, I'm getting better at it. And in some ways, not that efficiency is the goal, but a little more efficient in the way I use tools for that. Yeah. Um, but I don't know that I've ever felt like a 50, let alone 52 week a year type of preacher. <laughs> I try to be closer to, to 30 <laughs> actually. Sure. Um, yeah. And, and some of it is health based, like to to be mentally, physically, spiritually healthy enough to preach well. I I need to preach a lot less um, and have room for some some of this other diet, you know, of of reading. Um, yeah, so yeah, I'm I'm thankful for some of that realization, and you know, uh, my my youngest is now five. And so I'm sleeping mm -hmm. a lot better than I yeah. have in the yeah. previous decade, which makes, you know, waking up to read theology a little easier now <laughs> than it necessarily has been. Yeah. Why do we always encourage people to plant churches when they have young children? Yeah. Right. Oh my goodness. <laughs> when you're already struggling to sleep. Yeah. I mean, I just, I, I think, you know, I think we're almost at 20 of these interviews and I think perhaps you're the first to name that you find, and not that perhaps others haven't felt it, but that you find deep theological reading to be forming, because I think it can be. And that perhaps some of that is personality, but perhaps some of that is just permission, you know, to know that I can get excited about something like this and see some understanding or reality of God and have it form me. Yeah, I, I think some of it, some of it is, um, you know, uh, pastoral ministry even like i'm i've ministered at a church where i have great friends and peers and yeah don't feel like i have this giant separation between myself and my congregants my parents are in my congregation i'm my, I'm my mom and dad's pastor and that somehow works yeah. um <laughs> but uh yet pastoral ministry can also be really lonely and so i i found that theological reading, both contemporary and is maybe even especially old books and, and voices from the past and the great cloud of witnesses can, can just be, can, can almost be a, an act of friendship, like spiritual friendship and, you know, make you feel less crazy sometimes too, um, to connect with some of those voices. So I, I think that's, yeah, that, that's become has become vital for, for my spiritual practice. Yeah. And you mentioned centering prayer. Tell me how you came to that practice and what does that look like? Yeah. I, uh, prior to planting Oak church, I was part of a, a centering prayer. Um, I was working at another church in an associate role and I joined a centering prayer group and began to, learn about Father Keating and Centering Prayer and some of the goals yeah. and uh, was reading Thomas Martin and all these things. And, um, and it was me, this like somewhat Catholic still and Protestant pastoral figure in his early 30s and like five pretty mature Catholic women <laughs> <laughs> in this parish. Doing Are you being kind when you say mature? Are you yes. trying to say they were older seasoned in life? <laughs> yes. Yes. Um, and and uh, yeah, the only reason I stopped with that group is because I, I started to have all of these like church planner responsibilities, but, but uh, that, that I couldn't keep that, that uh, appointment. But um, that was a beautiful season. And, and again, I, I think a, a broadening of, you know, centering prayer is, is very much you, you with God's presence, but it, to do that in the presence of, of these 
faithful women um, with mm. with very different kind of spiritual personalities than mine uh, was was really instructive. And I've recently reconnected with that practice uh, um, on sabbatical and through uh, the spiritual director that I that I meet with monthly now. Yeah, um, and it, it's it's been it, it's been brilliant to reconnect with it after many years. Yeah. So, I mean, it, but when you did it before, it sounds like it was a group dynamic. Yeah, it was. Which I'm not familiar with, right? It, like I understand yeah. centering prayers is like this individual experience. It was kind of alone with God together sort yeah. of <laughs> um, thing, which I think there's, there's a lot of value in, in yeah, I don't know. May, I, I don't know that I've ever thought of it that way before, but an interesting thing to immediately proceed planting a church and trying to figure out what the team liturgy and like public worship where you're again with God together, um, maybe less accent on the alone with God together, but, uh, yeah. 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 I, I, I might've named this before, not with you, but on this podcast, but I, I just continually go back to, um, finding grace at the center which is a book that Thomas Keating and Basil Pennington wrote about centering prayer. And I just always remember, I mean, it's really kind of influenced what I'm doing here and my heart for spiritual direction because Keating writes in there somewhere along the way that so many people in our congregations, you know, and he wrote this 40 years ago to priests, but so many people in our congregations are, maybe he said parishes <laughs> are longing for some experience of some deepening experience of God. Um, and they're looking to their priests to offer it to them and their priests don't know how, cause they don't have it either, you know? And so that was kind of his plea for centering prayer. So I, I just, you know, I think it's beautiful that that's something for you. And you mentioned spiritual direction. How did you come to spiritual direction? How did that come to be part <laughs> of your rhythms? Yeah, no, that, um, so I, I had never, I had never met with a spiritual director prior to last year, though, again, I've, I've been around all sorts of different sure. tools of, of, um, you know, spiritual formation groups and such. Um, but our, you know, kind of fledgling church plant, especially in the wake of COVID was, yeah. you know, we're coming up on, at the time, seven years, and that that's that feels significant and and like a d- definite like maturity benchmark. And yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, you're kind of revisiting um, all the initial kind of ways that you started that you might not have even known that you were making templates for how you were always going to do things and, and recognizing what still fits. And you know, also we were very much trying to put in. Um, safe practices and uh, for, you know, power checks and um, safety and health for our clergy and staff yeah, and, yeah. and congregation and kids ministry and all these. We were doing all that work. Um, yeah. We kind of used that kind of Zoom heavy time to, to do a <laughs> lot of like, um, you know, sharing things up. And, and as part of that, we put in a staff, an annual staff review process that, uh, was really beautiful in that it it wasn't you're not doing you're not doing a good enough job or you know what are your metrics but it was like basically how are you like yeah um, what is God doing in you how is God growing you and changing you like what parts of your work still fit what 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 things do you you know it is very very staff forward but also with in terms of what the congregation is and needs and, and all that stuff. Uh, very beautiful and attentive process. Absolutely. And, yeah. Yeah. And, and as, as part of that, um, they, they, the, our elder team started offering, um, stipends for therapy or spiritual direction for staff and, that I took advantage of. And, sure. uh, believe it or not, I, on the first, first shot found my spiritual director, uh, which is so good. And, um, I've been meeting with her monthly since and, um, really grateful for that rhythm. And I think one of the 
one of the greatest gifts of it is that I I don't have to lead. <laughs> I, I feel like I do so many meetings and things that I have to show show up for, and yeah, it's part of my personality is I want to show up, you know, prepared um, to honor that meeting, and I think I I try to show up for the meetings with her present, but I I love that she is she is directing me mm-hmm. um very gently and sure patiently but uh and you know she's asking me the good questions you know um and waiting around for an answer you know and you know um th- that's just kind of disruptive to my rhythm of being the one that right. that, that does some version right. of that for others you know um so the, the, that's been really helpful. Um, and under her leadership, she's kind of reintroduced me to some of these practices uh, specific to things going on in, in my life. And um, yeah. Yeah. What is she from a different tradition or is she from a familiar tradition? Uh, she's, she's Catholic um, yeah, okay. and, and does a lot of, of training. Uh, she's, you know, uh, very Ignatian in her um, mm-hmm. spirituality. So, yeah, that's great. Um, so you mentioned sabbatical and I'd yeah. love to talk about that because I'm an imagining and I might be incorrect here. I'm imagining this is your first sabbatical since it is. just past seven years. It is. Yeah. So what, tell us the scope of that. Like when did that happen? How long was it? Yeah. Um, the church gave me a two month sabbatical June and July of this past year. And, um, you know, the, the goal for us was, was just pure rest and connectivity and slowing of pace to be mm-hmm. with God and with each other. Um, each other it, being your family. Uh, yeah. My family. Yeah, yeah that's okay. right. It, it, it actually exactly coincided with my kids, um, summer break, which mm-hmm. I think in hindsight, maybe <laughs> could have used them being in school a little bit. Uh, but, uh, um, but it wasn't for, you know, it wasn't to write a book. It wasn't to discern next steps. It wasn't to make some sort of life transition or, uh, it wasn't even because we were burnt out. It was, it was just a good time to have time. Um, and, and so, you know, my, my kids are, you know, all now under 11, uh, five to 11 in stair yeah. steps. Um, and so needless to say, we weren't going anywhere grand. Uh, we, <laughs> it takes a lot to mobilize us all. So, um, we stayed pretty close and it was, it was just pretty slow and beautiful. Um, there wound up being a lot of, a lot of little league baseball in there. Uh, my son made the all-star team and I was coaching. Uh, and so that's, something we didn't necessarily anticipate and it, it wasn't, uh, wasn't without some responsibility on my part. Uh, but, uh, definitely a, a lower gear than yeah. church, church leadership. But. Cause you can be at practice without worrying about that meeting. You have to be leading later that day or whatever. You know? Yeah, that's right. And yeah, that's right. Yeah. I, I've, I found that, um, coaching, and, and, you know, this is Little League. This, these are nine-year-olds. But I've, I've really found it to be a pretty profound bit of spiritual work um, mm. uh, in, in that it's, yeah, like it's a different, it's, it's some of the same stuff, but in a different register. You know, like it's, I'm not, not getting up there and preaching, but I'm deeply concerned about caring for these kids and families that all have some wild stuff going on or like some conditions diagnosed or undiagnosed and these family histories and even relationships with the game. Some of those kids don't want to be out there and you're trying to, um, you know, trying to show them that they can believe in themselves and, and gain a skill and connect with the team and give what they have. And that that's important. And you're also trying not to scar anyone for life. <laughs> you know, So, <laughs> so it, 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 it's really, it's really fantastic um, stuff. And, and, and something I, I really feel like I'm, I've been surprised at how much 
I want to give it when, when, when we're in season and, hmm. and, uh, yeah, I think that's been a positive surprise, but, um, did you do, did you come into that willingly or were you like, Oh, they need a coach? Uh, yeah, yeah, definitely willingly. Like I, I <laughs> there's some hesitation there. Well, I think, I think I was pretty aware and knew of myself how, like how apt to get very serious <laughs> I am. And so a little trepidatious to like jump in and kind of, you know, um, kind of let, let our guy get coached by someone who was not super attentive. And then like, uh, you know, it wasn't before long. I was like, ah, oh, I need to get out there. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, and yeah, but you know, again, like you're, there are so many great leadership skills to, to learn and grow in and that cause, cause you know, I'm constantly trying also to include other dads and coaches in, in this and, and not be the guy. So in, in a lot of ways there, there are so many echoes to some of my, like vocational ministry philosophies yeah. and theologies operative here. And yeah, it, it's been really fun, but, um, but yeah, that, that took some of, some of the, you know, edge time of sabbatical, which, which, yeah, I don't think I anticipated how much time you have on sabbatical when you don't, when you're not, uh, when you don't mm-hmm. have another Sunday coming in another sermon to write or, you know, another elder team meeting to go to, or, you know, something like that. Uh, so, yeah, I was going to say, what did you learn on that sabbatical? Yeah. I mean, two months is still even a short sabbatical, but yeah, it's still significant. Yeah. I, I mean, one kind of basic thing I learned, I, I love to go on walks. Um, and, and I mean, I was doing this in North Carolina in June and July, so these were sweaty walks. Yeah. But uh, <laughs> uh, I think I learned how, how much I would do, how much more I would do that if I didn't have like the next thing to go to. And, and so I would just go on these meandering walks and talk mm-hmm. with God. And, um, and yeah, and I would just sit out on, on a walk and I didn't have to pay attention to like, oh, shoot, I have this like meeting with someone for whom it would be rude to show up to like stinking really badly, right. you know? And so, <laughs> but, uh, it was something I, I've, I've really kept, kept around afterwards. Um, yeah. that, that that's what I was about to ask. Yeah. Have you still been able to walk? Yeah. Yeah, I have, I, I have, and I've probably showed up a little stinky to a little stinkier to meetings and kind of like, <laughs> okay about it. Um, but, uh, but yeah, it, it's, I think that especially doing like, neighborhood parish ministry, like being able to walk around the neighborhood and, and be open to encounter and interruption. Like I I was reading something, um, in, uh, during the pandemic that I thought was super profound. It's a a book. I think it's by Eric Jacobson. Do you know that guy? Um, uh, it's called three, three pieces of glass or something like that. It's like the phone, the TV screen and the car windshield and, oh, and yeah. how those technologies change us by eliminating sure. our proximity. And, and it was yeah. talking about the value of these um, kind of thin relationships that we have, um, you know, your, uh, that you have it, when you're in a place over a long period of time. So like, you might not even know the barista or the bag guy's uh, name, but you know their face and they know yours. And and so yeah. during pandemic, that was really eliminated when you know you're doing, uh, you know, yeah, yeah, grocery, grocery pickups and and you know not uh, everyone's masked and you're you know separated by so many mediations. And so, yeah, it felt like sabbatical and those walks were, were kind of a doubling down on, on those sorts of happenstantial relationships that, um, and it really reinforced how, how important they are. And, and for someone that I guess is like both kind of my personality, but also my, my calling, how, how deeply, um, kind of healthful um, having those encounters are. 
Yeah. Um, what else? Anything else you learned on that sabbatical? Yeah, we had, uh, without getting super deep into it, but we'd had about five of the eight weeks of the sabbatical down, and we went to a baseball tournament in a rural part of the state. And um, oh, during yeah. during a game, there was a there were um, multiple high powered rifle shots that went through our field. It was terrifying. Um, yeah. you know, we all hit the deck and it was not immediately apparent if it was purposeful, if there was an active shooter, what was going on. Um, and, and I was like in the middle of that field. It, I, I felt it even more than I heard it. Um, and thank God no one was hurt, but it was really traumatic. Yeah. And, um, it, you know, it happened during this super spacious, but not very fancy sabbatical, um, and drained whatever margins, mm. <laughs> just like in the span of two or three days, you know, of margins of peace and rest that we've, that we had. Um, so that was, in some ways, I, I'm, I'm, it was a bummer that it felt like it was like, oh, this is like kind of wrecking the last three weeks of sabbatical. In some ways it was such a grace that it was during that time because I would have had to take leave. I couldn't have functioned in my work or, you know, in any sort of kind of normal configuration during that time. So I was glad to have that space. Um, In some ways it was, it was weird to go through something that traumatic when we had purposed like some social boundaries of, you know, like we saw some people, but mostly we were trying to like, just right, right. kind of make room. And so folks didn't quite know how to interact. They, they knew what had happened and they knew also we were okay, but they didn't quite know how to interact with us and, or us with them. And we kind of, kind of hunkered down with our, family and kids too and so yeah that was another kind of it would have been nice to to have more intimacy uh with people um but also from kind of afar and maybe these are some of the techniques people learn during pandemic like um you know things would just show up you know, food would just show up or mm-hmm. coffee subscriptions would just show up and and so people were like loving us and, yeah. and, and, and touching base in more explicit ways, texts and calls and emails and stuff. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so that was, that was a super weird thing that happened, but it, in a lot of ways it, um, I think the ripples of that continue to affect us. Um, kind of the, traumatic part of that has subsided a bit although mm-hmm. like our five-year-old still has some sleep disruptions and the you know it's almost yeah. like a if you've ever had like a window broken or whatever you think you got all the glass and then like right. it seems like your yard just keeps coughing up glass for years <laughs> it just <laughs> happens even when we drop a plate in the kitchen yeah that's right <laughs> yeah, yeah that, so it's a little like that but um but also just like the, I hadn't, I don't think I'd ever experienced that much um, fear, but also anger yes. following that. Um, angry at, you know, some people, some people's responses, angry, you know, more broadly at like, Systems. The cultural apathy, may I speak systems, for you in that? Yeah, powers, you principalities that. Yeah. that that make that even feasible. Um, it, yeah, and and so I think a big part of of you know that season since this summer and still ongoingly has been kind of negotiating, like walking around with this like anger that almost feels like a weapon that I'm not comfortable holding, <laughs> you know, um, and, and figuring out, figuring out what to do with kind of the, the energy around that and the potentiality of that to also like hurt someone, <laughs> you know, <laughs> um, 
I'm, I'm speaking more kind of like hurt someone with my anger, uh, with sure. my words and, and right. stuff. Um, but, uh, and then also just like to try to convert that into more productive and like, um, kind of in, in into activism and ad- advocacy that, 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 you know, in some ways it'd be easier to just like try to move on, but like it's, yeah. So yeah, I, I guess in that way it's like it, in a strange way, like sabbatical, um, time in that instance that none of us chose kind of like is turning, is turning into this like activism and kind of <laughs> radicalizing me. Yeah. <laughs> um, no, it's- uh, and, and a lot of that, a lot of being radicalized is not just like waving science, but it, it, it's taken a lot of learning. Like I'm, I'm reading on, all the stuff I'm, I'm trying to trying to figure out some of the logic on why, why this is, you know, so, um, bewitching to so many people and especially Christians. Yes. I'm yeah. trying to figure out wh- all these, you know, third rails that you, the second you touch them, someone completely disconnects and can't hear you anymore. Um, and, and yeah, I'm trying to figure out like, my voice as a Christian pastor who is, you know, in, in some ways not a very progressive person, but like, um, when you start to talk about guns, it turns you into this like progressive, you know, kind of activist or whatever. Um, and, and yeah, trying, trying to figure out what, what all that should mean and what all that, how all of that comports with like a constructive vision of, ministry in the neighborhood and, and our neighborhood has gun problems and sure and violence and our city is torn by that. So, um, I think in some ways there's some, you're kind of still catching me in the middle of quite a bit of discernment of, about how God's working in that. And, um, thankfully you have an Ignatian minded director. Yeah. Right. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> how, how, how none of this stuff is wasted though. Like, you know, like, yeah. um, like e- even that that horrible experience for us, and how visceral that fear and disorientation and, yes. and everything was, like it's, it's not good, but it's it's also not wasted. And what a, I mean, what a I appreciate what you naming this. What a razor's edge I think exists between that could feed a an anger that wants retribution. Or it could feed this longing for justice. And it's a really fine line between the two. But uh, thank you for your vulnerability on that. And just naming even how you've dwelt, it sounds like on that razor's edge some. And what a strange, so I had, you know, I I was aware of that, um, mostly from you talking about it on social media, but wasn't aware that it happened while you were on sabbatical. What a (laughs) strange, because the, Sabbatical alone is such a strange thing because you're apart from your community for good reasons, for rest, but you're also apart from your family community. Um, and it was like a gift and not a gift, I guess, to experience that on sabbatical. Yeah, that's right. That's right. And yeah, uh, I mean, it, it should probably be obvious that, you know, sabbatical doesn't press pause on real life <laughs> for, right. for anyone, you know, and 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 I know like, like our congregation had several things that that were happening that that you know my leaders uh, purpose to sh- kind of shield me from so that yeah. I, I wouldn't worry about you know um, and so yeah it's I don't know like I I still think overall you know um, uh, the Sabbath is is a is super restorative and and this one in particular was and and in some ways like built into that is is the ability to like grow in our reliance that god you know holds all things together uh even when we are detached or distanced (laughs) you know like um not in a way that makes us more passive but in in a way that just makes us trust god yeah well, I mean, I'm I'm aware of the time, um, but I don't want to skip my favorite last question. Yeah, go for it. <laughs> Which is, um, who do you hope to be in ten years? 
Oh, that's that's a great that's a great question. So I think of that in relation to the people I'm in relationship with, and mm-hmm. so in ten years, um, I will have been married for. 25 years. Uh, yeah. My youngest kid will be 15 and my oldest will be 21. So that'll be different. <laughs> yes. uh, or, or That's tr- my life right now. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. All those numbers are my life right now. Exactly. Take good notes. Yes. Um, uh, and our church will be, you know, God willing, 18 years old. And so in so many ways, like I, I don't have much of an imagination to be that different in terms of, I don't imagine to be in a different place or with different people. Uh, I hope mm. to be wiser. I hope to be more available in, you know, in some of the ways that you're able to be more available when you're not, when you don't have a kid in your arms all the time or, you know, aren't driving, yeah. driving kids everywhere. But, um, I have this posted, I'm looking at it right now. That is at least 10 years old. <laughs> it's from a Eugene Peterson, one of his pastoral books. And it's like, three traits of a pastor is that you should be unbusy, subversive, and apocalyptic. Uh, mm. I don't remember which book that was from. Um, but uh, yeah, it's, so it's kind of faded and wrinkled, but um, I think I, I'm understanding those words probably a lot differently now than when I first put that note on my monitor. Yeah. And so yeah. it makes me wonder what that'll what what things that I already know that I'll know better in 10 years. Um, yeah. Yeah. And how different those words might feel in 10 years. Perhaps. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Well, Chris, thanks so much. It's great to connect with you and hear, hear your perspective on even just that experience that you had this year. Like I, I hadn't connected, like I said, I hadn't connected that being part of sabbatical and just the calling for that. But I wanted to interview you because um, I've, I've already recorded the intro to this, so I'll say this again. I feel like Oak Church, if I could choose a place to live because of a church, Oak Church would be one of those churches because I just respect um, what you're doing as a church and I respect you as a person. And so I just really appreciate the thoughtfulness you bring to your role and how God is present in the work you're doing. So thank you. No, thank you, John. Thanks for making making space for this. Yeah.